Before we jump into today's episode, we want to talk to you about Internet Church. Rich, what is Internet Church? Oh, it's only the best internet gathering this side of the Kailua River. Is the Kailua River a thing? Maybe we should start over. <laughs> let's let's do it again. Ask me again. <laughs> no, let's leave it in. Now no, no, let's talk about Internet Church. Uh, internet Church. Actually, it's a thing we do every other Friday night where we all gather together, uh, encourage the saints in truth. It's uplifting. It's edifying. It's just a time to gather for about an hour on a Friday night or day, depending what part of the world you're in, just to be encouraged by the saints. You you think you would like something like that? Is the Pope Catholic? Uh, you bet your sweet bippy the Pope is Catholic. And uh, Justin, Internet Church is all about gospel freedom. It's good. I'm trying to think of the follow-up question. <laughs> oh, I'm like, man, this thing is lagging. Uh, all right. If No. Absolutely love it. So if you were going to... No. What are we going for? Are we trying to be funny or are we trying to be serious? I don't know. I I mean, whatever. I, we're trying to let people know that... Oh, <laughs> I'm not as gifted as you are in this department, my friend. So join us every other Friday night, 8 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. If you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org slash circles and add the Internet Church Circle to your calendar. Welcome back to The Move, where I've been through the book 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about that one part in the Bible where two women literally date-rape their father. If you're wondering what the heck, we're also wondering what the heck. But it is from Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 to 38. We got none other than Pastor Ben Williams, the one and the only, the amazing Pastor Ben Williams. Um, I, I, maybe it's not clear in every one of the episodes that we get to do when there's like a passage like this where it's just like, what do we do with this? But this is perhaps the strongest I felt that feeling. Uh, entering into an episode. Sometimes people think like, oh, everything that you do on the move is scripted and you have all your point by point by point thing. Like, like, listen, like, if that's what you think that we're doing, like, wow, awesome, <laughs> super cool. I like, that's amazing. But I think the premise of the move is that we don't do any of that and that we just open up the text and allow the Spirit of God to move us. And a lot of times we're pleasantly surprised as to kind of what we learn as we have the conversation. And this is one of those where I'm like, all right, God, you got to come through because I read this book or read this part of the book and I'm just like, what in the world is happening? My description of the text was not an exaggeration. I mean, they two two women literally get their father drunk and then sleep with him. Like that's the that's the bulk of the story. And I don't know that there's another way to read that story that makes it more culturally appropriate or something along those lines. Like earlier in this series, obviously we had to cover ground like, you know, Adam and Eve, they had a couple kids. Well, where did their partners come from? And we, we talked a little bit about that at the beginning of, the, of this series. And, you know, I guess the conclusion is like, well, I mean, where else are they going to find them? So maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. God doesn't seem to endorse it. But like, this is one of those stories. And by the way, you're hearing my dog bark. So I'm going to just stop talking in just a moment and then open the door so that he can get out of my room right now. But this is one of those passages where like, there's no like nice way to put this, but this is the story. So what do we do with this? Pastor? Oh man, this is one of those times. 
I've, being a pastor, people often like to ask you hard questions. And it seems like this is a hard question because this story, it not only is hard to understand, but it rubs you the wrong way. No, yeah, and like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to use the language of rubbing or any of these kinds of other Ooh. words in this passage. But yes, it's yeah, weird. It's tough, and and it seems like it's it's a retelling of a, of an earlier story, and it's and it's almost establishing a pattern. And so I I don't I don't know who who it okay. was that did Genesis. I believe it's nine when Noah comes off of the ark right after everyone gets destroyed. Mm-hmm. Then he gets drunk, and then the Bible says that. Ham came in and knew his father's nakedness. And from scripture, we know that knowing someone's nakedness is not just seeing, but it actually often, more often than not, has connotations of laying with them as Lot's daughters do with him here. And so it's this, it's this mm-hmm. interesting thing where it's the, at least the beginning of a pattern where, right, in the same way with, with the flood, there's this judgment, people die. There's this yep. small group that gets born. out. Yep. The main figure mm-hmm. that we would say is the, the faithful patriarch gets drunk and then his children take advantage of him. And it's, and it's, right. and it's, I, I mean, this is again where we are proving to you that this is not scripted or anything because what is the point <laughs> of this pattern? I don't 100% know. <laughs> it, 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 I would say this if there's one simple, obvious takeaway lesson that you could probably share, like at a Sabbath school or a Sunday school kind of context, is uh, this kids and boys and girls is why we don't drink alcohol and why we don't yeah. get drunk. You could. That's, <laughs> that's the that lesson. is one. I mean, that is possibly one lesson. But a, another one that is just coming to me in this moment is there's this, there's maybe this like this picture of learning how to rest right after God does something. Because I think often, mm. and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've experienced it when there is a spiritual high, which sadly you could say that the judgment of, of these other groups and like the saving of this small group is kind of like a spiritual high, like, Oh man, like we made it out. There's often this period of maybe even a low point, because I know for me, like often sometimes I'll like, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll let down my guard and kind of get a little lax and kind of like, Mm. Yeah, by faith, I was just saved. But now in the little things, maybe I can be more relaxed. Like in the big thing, there was faith and I was saved. But maybe now in the little things, I can kind of relax and let my guard down. And then tough stuff starts to happen. And something that, that I, that I want to mm-hmm. note here that I was reading and it really caught my attention is in verse 31. It says, and the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come to us after the manner mm-hmm. of all the earth. And something that really struck out to stuck out to me is that's like that's just simply untrue. <laughs> right, right. And with, with the with the background and the context of Abraham's entire kind of story arc up to this point is one of like you have a promised heir, and this is what happens when you take that promise into your yeah. own hands and you do things outside of God's design. It doesn't end well, and it seems like there's a, a theme here that's emerging of like, listen, we need a child, and and I guess culturally contextually like this is something that would have mattered a lot to people now it's like hey if we got the double income no kids lifestyle like we're winning then that wasn't the case security and uh, a sense of peace a sense of stability came when you had more children because your kids were Mm. your retirement plan right you didn't have a company to take care of you so the idea and the prospect of not having children is a scary idea when you think about your future and so this is another example of where 
it doesn't seem like people are trusting that God is going to take care of them, that they're, they're moving in the direction of taking uh, a more firm grasp on their future in a way that is compromising kind of some of the most basis principles when it comes to living faithfully yeah. with God. Yeah. It's this, it's this weird thing where God keeps on telling people stuff like, Hey, I'm going to do this for you. And then when people in the first mm. moment that it seems like maybe that's not true, they just like go wild. And I, and I, right. it's something really interesting to me in verse uh, 30 I'm going to go down to like the last sentence of it. It says, so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Now, something that mm-hmm. this is something that Justin, you would say is why I love the degrees that I have. Cause this is something that I learned in a class um, is that in, okay. in, ancient, in ancient Near Eastern times, as well as in Bible times, the, the imagery of a cave is not just like a place, but it actually has connotations of fear, restriction, and scarcity. While on the other hand, there is garden, which is freedom, which is abundance, and which is just like a flourishing life. And so it's it's kind of yeah. interesting that here the Bible says that he was in a cave because as we know so far, we've seen many times, the Bible says things on purpose. And I think one of the purposes right. here is, it's trying to give us an insight into the way that Lot and his daughters are living, not only physically, but also maybe even spiritually, hmm. that they are living in hmm. a, in a, in a place of fear of scarcity and of restriction. And this is pretty clear because when hmm. you go down to that verse that we just read um, before, before verse 30, which is 31, they have this weird scarcity mindset of like, there's literally right. no men on the earth, but like, there's <laughs> not a single yeah, but one. there's like towns. There's also Abraham and his entire like group. There's like a yes. huge amount of not only men, but faithful men to God. But when they live mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this weird view of scarcity, when they, when they decide not to believe what that God actually has good things in store for them and instead look at their situation, very close minded. Because again, if you, if you think about this, like, metaphorical cave living you're 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 restricted your view is restricted and all you can see is around you and it's scary and you and it's and it's almost like you're at this like level of survival rather than actually a flourishing Mm -hmm. life and so instead of looking at the beauty that god had for them like there was so many opportunity they decided to look at just a narrow view of their situation and decided to live in kind of a fear and scarcity mindset and with that Mm -hmm. they end Mm -hmm. up as we said date raping their father, which is terrible. It's awful. <laughs> terrible, terrible. You said something that uh, I wasn't necessarily thinking about is like, there's Abraham. There's someone that you know who, who cares about you. Like, you know, previous chapters talk about Abraham, like interceding on behalf yeah. of Lot and his family. So we know at least, at least kind of behind the curtains, maybe they don't remember this. Maybe the daughters and Lot don't remember how much Abraham loves them. But we know that the reality is that Abraham's heart is moved towards them. And yet they're living in a cave as opposed to just going over to Abraham yeah. and joining forces with Abraham. It seems like he's got enough wealth. It seems like he has the ability to sustain, you know, you and, 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 and your, your family. Cause it's really, really small. Like he could be able to do this. And yet they're there. They seem to be so you're, you're, you're suggesting maybe traumatized. Mm. Maybe they're on a spiritual high or like there's a lot of ways that we could call it this experience, but it's clear that they're not thinking clearly as to what resources are available. They're certainly operating from a scarcity mindset. Yeah. And I think that, this is very practical for me because I know in my life, when I start to operate out of fear and scarcity, I start to make a lot of decisions that I wouldn't normally. 
And those decisions mm. end up actually hurting my life and hurting those around me. Mm. Like, I mean, I, for instance, mm-hmm. like, let's just, let's just use the, the, the idea of like love and worth. When I'm operating in a mm. scarcity mindset, like I don't have love and I don't have worth, then I literally start to manipulate other people to try to get it. And when I try to manipulate other people and get it and they can't, and they don't end up giving it to me as much as I want. So for instance, my my fiance, like if I want to be, if I feel like I need to be validated because I don't have enough validation, if I need to be loved by her because I don't have enough love, then the minute that she doesn't give me love and validation to the point where I feel full, which I mean, as we've all noted, humans literally can't give enough for us to ever feel full, then I actually start to resent mm-hmm. and I start to actually hurt her in ways that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not abusive physically, anything like that. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying like when I start to hurt her in the way that like, maybe I'm not as kind as I should. Maybe I'm, maybe like I literally mm-hmm. don't give her like love and affirmation because I think she's withholding from me because I don't feel it. Like this, this idea of scarcity actually pushes us to places where we hurt those around us. And sometimes they don't even know. Like, obviously mm-hmm. it says Lot didn't even know what they were doing. Like he didn't know, he had no idea. Mm-hmm. And it's this, this thing that, man, yeah, like fear and scarcity actually push us to hurt other people. Hmm. It's amazing how, uh, how much more challenging this journey of life is when we are still of the mindset that, we don't have enough that God is somehow withholding. And, and, and I'm glad that we're getting to this point because it's actually a really natural and organic kind of transition. You and I, one of the questions that we address before we hit recording is what is the thing that we want to mm. plug at the end of the episode? And you actually have, uh, have our book, chapter three into a book called No Longer I, The Power of the Gospel Like You've Never Heard It Before. And, and what we've been discussing in this episode actually ties into mm. the quote that we were intending to read. You might, why don't you go ahead yeah. and pull that out right now? Read us the quote because it's so relatable and and it's a perfect example of what happens when we for prolonged periods of time not not only in just a moment of crisis but for as a lifestyle kind of approach when we buy into the lie that we don't have enough as opposed to the truth which is everything that god could have done he's already done for you every gift that he was ever meaning to give to any one of his children you already have in christ jesus this transformative idea that of the gospel is like actually really freaking yeah. good news. So why don't you pull open that quote and uh, uh, yeah, it says right this, now. it says Christians have been waiting for something that has already been done and can only be received by believing that it is true. I assured you of a gospel mm. that sets you free and it begins by understanding how it already has. Man, mm. that's beautiful. I, I know that for me, a lot in my life changed when I was willing to to accept this truth by faith. Yeah. That it was already done. Like so much of my Christian experience was uh, a very conditional one. And not, not to the sense that I had to do things in order for God to love me or do things in order for me to be saved per se. I believe that I was saved. I believe that I was accepted by God by faith. But then after that, I was meant to do all these things Mm. in order to get to the next level of my life or to grow spiritually, to do all these things. And so there was very much a conditional element of the way that I related to God. And it sounds as though, and you're only three chapters into the book, so we can't vouch for anything from chapter four beyond, but like, hey, listen, it sounds like this book is making a bold, Mm. audacious claim. And that's that 
the gospel is is so much better than you have potential and you could do yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's this beautiful picture of like Jesus did something. Now we can believe it and live in that reality or we can try our hardest to try to live up to that reality, which is never going to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So real quick, uh, we're winding down. The book is No Longer I by a guy called Jacob Hotchkiss. Is that correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Jacob Hotchkiss. All right. Check it out. Anything else that we want to say on this passage? I know that we kind of did things out of order just because this is a weird chapter and we're trying to figure out what's what, but anything else that we want to mention before we kind of completely wrap things up here with Lot and his daughters? Um, Something that is actually, that is helpful to me at least along this exact same narrative is when the oldest, I think it's the oldest, I don't remember who goes first, either the oldest or the youngest, I think it's the oldest daughter. Whoever does it first. Yep. The firstborn first goes first. Goes first. Yep. First, firstborn lays with the dad and then comes back and convinces the younger daughter to do it on the basis that she already had. And Yikes. I think what's interesting is often we hold on to our ideas of who God is in our scarcity mindsets because we've seen so many oh. people doing it in the past. And we say, if they've been doing it, then this is just how it's supposed to be. And we almost, we almost hmm. blindly do and operate in this way because other people are doing it. But what we're here to tell you on the move <laughs> is that there's actually a better way. And just because everybody you have known as a Christian has been operating in this way beforehand does not make it the right way. The right way is always hmm. highlighted in the word of God. It, no matter if there's a million people going way A, if, if way B is highlighted in scripture, I offer you that way B is way better and it's the way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you guys go. That is, I'm saying, and that's all we get to say. That's where the cookie crumbles. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ben, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We'll see you guys in the next episode. 